0: When the scribes and Pharisees asked our Lord about the greatest commandment, he replied, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, and with all your soul, and with all your mind, and with all your strength. So why do we hear some of today's most prominent pastors saying things like this?
1: It had everything to do with how we talk about the Bible, and specifically, or along with that, what we point to as the foundation of faith, which for most Christians, unfortunately, is the Bible.
0: We need to do better. We need to love God with all our hearts and stand unashamedly on the rock of His Word. We need to love the Lord with all of our souls and respond to the worldview issues of our day with the wisdom and discernment that comes only from Him. We need to love the Lord with our minds and understand the calling of God's people in every area of life in God's world. We need to love the Lord our God with all our strength and face the work of building a life-giving, God-honoring culture. Join us for 10 days at the Runner Academy for Cultural Leadership as we consider how the gospel influences all of life and culture and the role that we have to play in applying foundational Christian thinking to every area of life.
2: I would say if the authorities didn't want us involved in the public square... They ought not to have crucified Jesus in the public square. The
0: humanistic principles. Well, I would, the say the same same idea. Idea. I would say same idea. I would say I
1: would say, what's the problem with stardust bumping into
0: stardust? In the in the cosmic picture, no, there's no problem. In the All cosmic right. picture, it won't matter. No,
2: Mr. President, you are not protecting reproductive freedom. You are authorizing the destruction of freedom for one million little human beings every year.
1: I'm sorry, my friends, but I am tired of seeing Jesus presented as
2: a weak beggar. He is a powerful
3: Savior, and the gospel is not a suggestion. It is a command.
2: Reverend don't you sympathize with that? I sympathize
1: with every single human heart wishing to know the one true and living God, but I believe there's only one way that that can happen through Jesus Christ, and the gospel is about repenting of sin, not celebrating it.
0: Adventure. We will explore this spiritual abyss.
2: You have not experienced this before. You're going to love it.
1: For I have come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of Him who sent me. And this is the will of Him who sent me, that I should lose nothing of all that He has given me, but raise it up on the last day. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in Him should have eternal life, and I will raise Him up on the last day. That's John chapter 6, everybody, one of my favorites. My favorite gospel is the gospel, according to John. Mm -hmm. My very favorite, and that's one of my favorite sections from John. Welcome to Apologia Radio. This is the gospel heard around the world, everybody. Excited to be with you today. Go to ApologiaStudios.com to get more, A-P-O-L-O-G-I-A-Studios.com to get more. If you go to ApologiaStudios.com, there's not only all the radio shows and podcast episodes from provoked to Sheologians to Cultish to Apologia Radio, there's also a ton of additional stuff for all of our supporters just like you who are partnering with us in this ministry. At Apologia All Access, you get the after shows for all the, the shows. Like right, right now, we're going to meet you after the show at ApologiaStudios.com. You also get Collision. You get uh, the Academy. Very excited about the Academy. We also have some new stuff we're working on right now on End Time stuff that's going to be up there. Hopefully very, very soon. Lots of stuff there. Go to ApologiaStudios.com. Get more there. And if you haven't signed up for Bonson U yet, make sure you sign up for Bonson U. It's totally free don't miss out on one of the best theological educations you can get from Dr. Greg Bonson. So it's at BonsonU at ApologyStudios.com. I'm Jeff the Common, the Ninja. That is Zachary Conover. Hey, everyone. Director of Communications with End Abortion Now. We are grateful to be with you today. Today we are talking, uh, we really want to talk primarily today about the sovereignty of God. Yeah, what a big one. The grace small, of God. Small topic. A <laughs> little topic. Yeah. Created no small controversy. Yeah, man. So we're going to talk today about the doctrines of grace. uh, And we're not going to, by any means, be able to talk fully and exhaustively about this subject today. But for me... I want to talk about this subject because, honestly, I want to speak to my own heart about these things. So I Amen to, just, to that. Yeah, yeah, I wanted to speak to my own heart about the truth surrounding the sovereignty of God. This is for us. <laughs> yeah, the grace of God. You guys are really just flies in the wall right here, because this is really us just speaking to our own hearts here about the grace of God and salvation, God's goodness to unworthy sinners like us. And so that's really what the doctrines of grace are all about. You know it is TULIP. Um, the doctrines of grace, total depravity, unconditional election, limited atonement. Uh, Irresistible Grace and Perseverance of the Saints. Uh, We're gonna just have a conversation about it today. Mm -hmm. But before we do, before we do, I couldn't help but uh, pull this up, because I don't think a lot of people saw it. Um, Cultish, one of our uh, shows on our platform, Cultish, if you haven't seen yet, I hope you go check it out. Cultish is putting out some great, great stuff, blessing a lot of people. Cultish has a new thing they're doing right now, the Cultish Water Cooler Live, and it's on um, their own separate YouTube channel. Um, and uh, they had a great discussion. It was like the first time they did it, and they actually have call-in capabilities where you can call in, leave a message, and they'll answer your questions. And so I, I just wanted to play this. They had one person call in, and uh well let me just say this i was i was over there in my office jerry's right here he's like jeff i was like what so i come over it's late it's late i think it was like seven thirty at night or something like that yeah oh, i was ready to go home i'm tired and he's Threw like he's like yeah he's like he's like hey uh we're trying to do like a live thing right now but like nobody's called in like really to leave messages like not enough he goes can you just call in and leave a message for yeah, us. Yeah. And like, I was like, right now. He's like, yeah. And I was like, okay. So I ran to the back. I just spit out this thing real fast. And this is what they. were right. This is this is what they went live with. So this is uh, Mortimer calling into Cultish, their voicemail line.
2: Hey. Yep. Hello. Hello. over there hello am i on Uh, hi this is uh this is waterworth waterworth i you have to forgive me i'm a little kid and i can't hear so good (laughs) i'm a a long time listener long time listener and live in florida i live in florida and i've got a question for you i was uh I was at uh, the bus stop the other day, and I it was sitting there, and it's hot. It's real hot, and I had a Subway sandwich on me, and there was a young fellow walked up to me and told me he wanted to trade my Subway sandwich for some DMT. He said it's DMT. So I, I took the deal, and I uh, went home, and I took some of this uh, DMT, and I got questions. Uh... I got I got questions. I I uh, uh, took this uh, took this DMT and I uh, sat back in my recliner with my kitty cat and um, and all of a sudden things started getting fuzzy and weird and uh, a little out of whack. Uh, it was uh, it was uh, kind of interesting. And so I uh, zip zoom woo and then I went to another plane. There's like another realm, and as soon as the zoom I, it, it hit me and I. I saw unimaginable colors and I saw old friends and I saw purples and vivid different colors of rainbows and joe biden was there believe it or not he (laughs) he was there as well and uh the aliens and all kinds of weird little critters and i just want to know is that biblical that's all long time listener great job
1: it's that biblical. Job. It's that Bro, biblical. That could be
3: its own show.
1: <laughs> just like Mortimer story time with Mortimer. <laughs> yeah, I like, know. Because
3: the story is uh, like yeah. the
1: aspect. You pull people yeah. into this narrative. I, yeah, it's so funny. I've thought about doing that. Like creating a character show. With it's a oh. fun show. Just doing different stories with Mortimer and stuff. And uh, totally so be. yeah, that was sort of last minute. But Cultist's show, the Water Cooler, is on their channel. Uh, you guys can call into that. If you guys haven't listened to Cultus, they're doing some great, great stuff. And uh, love those guys. So that was Mortimer. I haven't done Mortimer in a while. We used to do them all the time on Apology Radio. I remember when you were getting all
3: those scam calls and you would just answer with... As Mortimer, as, Mortimer. as Mortimer, and the, just listening to the pause on the other end of the line right. from people trying to make heads or yeah. tails. The of what games, you're saying.
1: <laughs> the games you can play with scammers, as Mortimer. I mean, they're amazing. Like, I, I had a, a scammer call me, and I knew the scam because I, I already had that call several times. And it's where they tell you they're like working with a, a law enforcement agency, and a rented vehicle in my name was found in Texas with like uh, ten pounds of cocaine, and there's blood in it and uh, there's a police investigation That's and somehow they turn this into they're going to ask you for money you got to pay money and whatever to get the warrant off you oh, or whatever oh my goodness so yeah. i already knew the scam was coming and i was as mortimer right so like i let him get through the whole thing like we found the vehicle i've already heard this before we found the vehicle cocaine i'm like i'm like in my head going cocaine and the person in blood and they're whatever it, yeah. and then i was like okay i got to i got to i got to confess something the coke is mine and i killed a man in and and in, in el paso and I was like, I've, I've been wanting to get off my chest. <laughs> I killed a guy, and it, the coke is mine. <laughs> wow! And I was like, I just want to thank you for 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 letting me get this off my chest, and and and, and come and get me. Come what come did they and get say me to that. And they were just like stunned, <laughs> and they were like, uh, and they just hung up. I was like the the body. I was like, you, I could tell you what the body is. You confess uh, to it. And they were I confess like, to it. No. I was like, I did it. Yeah, I did it. <laughs> Um it's what what else you see the best thing for me is like when you mess with a scammer and you you prolong the time they're on the call with you you stop them from scamming some innocent see, it's a labor of love old person yeah. exactly wasting
3: it's, their time is actually a good thing in that a, case it's
1: a very, it's a it's it's a, it's very much a labor of love <laughs> um public service that's right project. so, so uh, we're going to talk today about the doctrines of grace now i think it's important to start this conversation off by asking the question uh, what's the standard are we that we're going to use to answer the question about the nature of man, yeah. uh, the graciousness of God's grace, the sovereignty of God, an election? Because if we're all honest, we come to this conversation with traditions, mm-hmm. and it's it's something that uh, you can look it up right now, actually, um, uh, on YouTube or after the show today. If you go to YouTube, Dave Hunt um, wrote a book. What I think he wrote a book. It was called "What Love Is This." and um it, he wrote a, a book against calvinism but he had had a, a radio show episode that he did with dr james white on calvinism right and in that I in that, that show uh and again you go just look up dave hunt james white radio show you'll you'll listen to the entire thing it's very very um good uh, to listen to that in that show uh dave says something like i don't have any traditions james i remember that yeah right I don't have any traditions, James. And one of the things that's always stuck out to me is how James has responded to that since then. And and it's essentially the person who thinks they have no traditions is the one who is enslaved to them. Because they can't see them. Can't see them. They're They're blind to them. They're not even looking. They're not looking. Yeah. And so all of us have traditions and traditions can be good. Mm -hmm. Like the tradition uh, from Nicaea, Council of Nicaea, creeds, those sorts of things. Great traditions. But the question is, why? Are they good traditions because the church pulls rank and says, this is the way things are because I say, or why is what, why are the formulations of the Trinity such good traditions? Well, because they're consistent with the scriptures, like the the Bible teaches the Trinity. That's where we get it from. Mm -hmm. And so when we have creeds and confessions that are consistent with what the Bible expresses, those are good traditions. We're not down on traditions. Like an apology, of church we're we hold essentially to the 1689 London Baptist Confession of Faith, we think it's a great confession of faith. Mm-hmm. We do a catechism every Lord's Day based upon the Confession of Faith. We're memorizing questions, answers, and scriptures together. We think that's a good tradition. Yeah. Westminster Confession of Faith is awesome. It's amazing, um, and it's uh, we, that's a tradition. But it's yeah. a we would say biblical tradition in many respects. We disagree with, of course, our Presbyterian brethren on yeah. baptismal mode Even and the aspects of
3: our worship service itself, the liturgical tradition, yeah. the confession of sin, the communion, right? All of that, of course, is tradition biblically grounded, of course, right. but the singing, the the praying, the speaking the word to one another, the singing the word to one another, like yeah. all of those, you could, Contender tradition right even within that.
1: Yeah, so we're not down on tradition as though Christians can't have traditions But you must be willing to test your traditions to see if they're actually biblical and the reason why I started this conversation This way is it goes back to what I said at the beginning of the episode. My favorite gospel is the gospel of John and This is very personal. Yeah, but my experience is when I first heard the gospel. It was actually from Billy Graham Uh, I was late at night. I'd finished teaching karate. I think I was just barely 16 years old it's late. I'm the only person up. I sat in front of the TV. I think I was eating spaghetti. Uh, I even remember what I was eating. And I was, and Billy Graham came on one of the channels. Cool. And I listened to him talking about Christ and his atonement and uh, repentance and faith in him. It's the first time I heard the gospel for eternal life through what Christ accomplished. So there's a 1-800 number that, that came up. And um, I just ran over to the phone. I remember distinctly the whole thing, like, oh my goodness. And then like, Go into the phone, picking it up, calling one hundred number, and um, and they I give them my address, and they send you like a a, a small kit, uh, and it's it's just uh Bible memorization cards, oh, verses wow. on cards, and it's uh, they just sent uh the Gospel of John, yeah, and I remember that I read the Gospel of John every day. Mm. For like the longest time, it's over and over and over and over. I just fell in love. Yeah. Like, this is to me. Like he's telling me that he loves right. me, that he has eternal life for me and he's never going to lose me. Yeah. And so when I bring up the issue of tradition, my first contact with Christianity and the Bible was in the gospel of John. And so that's what I digested. And the fact that Jesus was never going to lose me, I learned from John. Yeah. That eternal life was a real thing, that I would never be forsaken and that he would keep me forever. I learned that from John and that through faith in him, I'd have eternal life. I learned that through John, and that's where I got it. And then I started, I finally went to church for the first time. And uh, what did I start getting? But man has a free will. And I started getting all these other things I was taught in things church. Things you weren't getting from John. Right. <laughs> so for me, I, I just wanted to express this, this is just very personal for, for me. For me, I was buried in John. I believed all those things from John. But then I started to pick up the lingo of the Christian community that I was yeah. in about man has a free will. And God's not going to mess with his free will. And... Um, all this stuff and so i sort of had like two two lanes of teaching that i was getting i was getting from the word and then i was getting the tradition from the culture around me at the time and so i got to a point where i started to really struggle because there was a tension in my own mind between what i was reading in john about god choosing a people giving them to christ him never losing them him promising to raise them up him never forsaking them all that stuff it's right there in john um, you're you're a slave to your sin. The son must set you free, but now I have this tension from what I'm reading in John, what I believe from John, what I'm saying about John, and then this other system that is clashing with it. And I I was I did a deep dive into Calvinism mostly because I was so sick of the tension in my head. Yeah, and when I officially came to the point where I where I finally said the doctrines of grace are biblical, that's why I believe them it was after a long time of study and tension of like, why 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 is this tension going on inside me? Why am I contradicting myself or saying one thing and saying another thing? And it wasn't until I was able to actually test my traditions to say, are they biblical? Mm. Like, is what I'm saying about the nature of man and the, the grace of God and the power of God and salvation, is that biblical? Am I getting that from the text? Or did I get it from somewhere else? Is it a tradition that I've adopted that's not true? And it was when I was... Uh, willing to be humble to say I could be wrong yeah. and just let the text speak that my mind changed. And the text was like floodgates. It's like, it's overwhelming text. I was like, how did I, how did I not see this? Cause it's on every page virtually. Uh, and it was, a, it was a refre- refreshing thing that shrunk me and mankind mm-hmm. and made God enormous yeah. and beautiful and powerful and so I think for me, that was one of the, the experiences that most uh, impacted me about my acceptance of the doctrines of grace is that it, it, it really put God in his proper place in my mind that he's the sovereign holy God and I'm the broken sinful creature. I have nothing. He has everything. He has all power and His grace is something that He gives freely and I don't deserve any of this. There's nothing in me that attracted uh, Him to me in yeah. terms of my my works and my yeah. will and it made God look very big to me and made me feel very small and that felt very biblical.
3: Yeah. And at the bottom of all that I feel like is we have to come to a place where we let God be God, you know, and in, in the sense of hearing him speak and allowing his word to transform us from the inside out. Like it it has to come from outside of ourselves. Obviously you mentioned humility, our minds, our hearts, every part of us has to be completely made subject to what he says. It's, he is those things. He is Lord. He is sovereign. You know, he's, he's completely, independent of us you know he oversees and orchestrates and ordains all according to his perfect plan and decree and his will and nothing can stand in his way or overcome him or thwart his purposes in the world like that's all god's sovereignty but the what we all need is to sit in that we need to sit in those truths myself included even more like it needs to be the song constantly playing in our heads Mm -hmm. because we'll, if, if, if he is given his proper place, according to what he says about himself, we'll see ourselves how we need to, and we'll see the world by extension of that, how we ought to in our our place in it. And so, yeah, I think we would all
1: do well to uh, meditate on the sovereignty of God. That's right. So it's interesting because this, this today, The show we're doing today, a short show, just talking about this very personally and getting into the scriptures, it isn't about the subject of church history and whether the doctrines of grace are found in church history. The answer is yes, of course they are. But you see consistencies and inconsistencies throughout church history. You see the, and I've mentioned this many times before, you see the church at many times having this amazing, amazing connection to the rule of faith, the scriptures, and getting it right. Right. With like the Trinity the nature of Christ uh, the atonement like the resurrection of Christ you know just this amazing essential unity and they're just nailing it when they where they're faced with controversy but we have to consider the church is really in many ways in its infancy it's not that long ago it's 2,000 years yes we, that seems that seems huge yeah but 2,000 years, in 2000 years, there were times in history in the history of the church, where they were dealing with particular doctrinal battles,, yeah. but not all doctrinal battles. Right. We tend to think with history behind us, like all of this was, was, all of this was their context. All, they were all managing all this. It's not the truth. There were times in church history where they were zeroing in and focusing in on, on a particular issue, and that was the big fight, like the nature of God, the Trinity, like that's the huge thing, Arianism. Deity of Christ, yeah. Deity of Christ, Sibelianism, uh, you know, all that stuff. Mar- Marcionites, and yeah. you've got particular areas And then you get into like something like Pelagianism, where it's it's really dealing with the nature of the fall and the nature of man and original sin. What is man capable of? Yeah, not capable. And and, but 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 even with that issue, they weren't dealing with all of the things connected to the nature of man and the fall and everything else. But when Augustine is dealing with the grace of God and the power of God and salvation, you're like "Mm, Monergism. Yeah, that's straight Calvinism. Right. And uh, that's why Augustine is hard for some people because the reform people can use Augustine and say, look, he's saying what we're saying. And then also, there's points in Augustine's teaching where the Catholics go, See, he's teaching what we're teaching. Yeah, right. Because he's a mixed bag, because he's a fallible, uninspired man. So, the, the topic today isn't about like church history and like where you can find points of contact where you see the doctrines of grace in the teaching of the fathers here or there, whenever there was something that came up where they addressed a passage or whatever. Augustine is a modernist and all that stuff. That's not what we're dealing with today. We're dealing with the fact that during the time of the Reformation, The issue of the nature of man and the grace of God was front and center because of the perversions of Rome that had accumulated over time and eventually came to a climax. Mm. And so those perversions were related directly to the nature of man in the fall, the sovereignty of God in salvation, the grace of God in salvation, the power of God to save, the atonement itself, what does it accomplish? And so that's why during the time of the Reformation, you see everyone's zeroing in on this issue, to the degree that then you get to the Synod of Dort, where now there's even further dispute with like the followers of Jacob Arminius versus right. those who were descendants from like Calvin, be, because now everybody's zeroing in, getting down, pinning down what, do, what does a text of scripture say about this, right? Like, what's the rule of faith say? And so when you get to the issue of the doctrines of grace, Calvinists didn't invent it. Right, and the fact that it's called Calvinism and Arminianism—that dispute with the Synod of Dort and doctrines of grace—it's just shorthand. It, 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 Calvinism has nothing to do with the man named John Calvin. Yeah. it's the texts and the issues that are related to that. That—that's the issue of Calvinism, Arminianism. But this yeah. issue comes to a head because this becomes the big dispute: how gracious is God's grace? Yeah, and can his can the grace of
3: God and salvation be in any way compelled?
1: Right. How sovereign is God? Yeah, kind of sovereign, mostly sovereign, totally sovereign. So I wanted to say again, uh, if if you're thinking today you're going to get an entire episode, we're going to exhaust every detail of this. I, I think you'll be, um, yeah. I, th- I think you'll be discouraged. Uh, we'll need except a lot more time. That's we sure. need more time. But I think you'll be uh, hopefully blessed by today. What we're going to talk about. So I want to say this: when you talk about the the doctrines of grace, they were a response to the protest. Yeah. The remonstrance of the the followers of Jacob Arminius. Um, so when you look at the five points, it's not like the Calvinists simply just made those up and wanted to just spin those off and teach those. They were responding to a formal like protest of we disagree with these teachings. And so well, the nature of man, total depravity, they meant total inability. How dead is a man in his sin? Is he spiritually sick or is he yeah. dead? Yeah. is is he is he unable to come to God like Jesus says um mm-hmm. is he is he non-god seeking like Paul quotes from the old testament in Romans chapter 3 yeah. dead in his trespasses mm-hmm. and right. sins a child of wrath and in terms oh, no. of god choosing because scripture teaches that god predestines uh, scripture teaches election scripture teaches that god chooses there's no way out of that that's why why would anybody want to get out of it the bible yeah. teaches it the question is on what basis does god choose to save is it on the basis of foreseen faith, like, he looks through the corridors of time to see who will actually trust in him, and he chooses them based upon their choice of him. Without well, it, mean, God learns stuff, and uh, that doesn't work, and how does a dead person have faith and believe? That's interesting. Like, who's, who's doing that on their own as a sinful fallen person? Yeah. So the question of election, like, on what basis does God choose to save somebody— is it something in themselves? Is it a foreseen faith? And then the question of the atonement is, is a big one. Did Jesus die for anyone in particular? Yeah. Like that that was the main point. Like, was Jesus's death something that accomplished what God set out to do? Was it personal? Was yeah. the atonement for this uh, sort of faceless, faceless nameless crowd, group. nameless gr- group? Or is
3: your name written on his hand from eternity
1: past? Did, did, when Jesus says it's finished... Was it? Yeah. Was it an accomplished redemption that was able to perfect forever those who draw near to God through him? Was it personal? Yeah. Can you say he died for me? He, can, he died for me. Yeah. Or was it general to make people save a bull? Like, what does the Bible teach about the atonement and what it accomplishes? Irresistible grace just had to do with the power of God in salvation, um, the effectual, the effectual of calling, his calling of God. Right. It, 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 some of the terminology, like I don't like tulip, total depravity unconditional election, limited atonement, I prefer to, what were they getting at was definite redemption. That yeah. le, limited atonement just meant that, that what he accomplished, it was definite. It was a, a complete, perfect redemption and it was not general. It was precise. It was for people and it accomplishes its purpose. But in the irresistible grace, it's effectual calling, meaning that when God wants to save a sinner, can someone, can he be stopped? Yeah. When it pleases God to save somebody, can he do it or will he be thwarted? Or does the power of God and the grace of God have the ability to raise a dead person to life so that they see Jesus and love Jesus? Yeah, regeneration. Um, you know, it was, it's just the yeah. gifts, like scripture teaches that like, you know, repentance is a gift to God, faith is a gift from God. Like, is that true? And then when it comes to perseverance of the saints, it just means that the saints who are saved will persevere because God causes them to. He will finish what he started in them. Yeah. Um, and uh, that's... Son won't lose any that the father has given them. <laughs> exactly. Um, he that began a good work in you will complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. You know, it's verses like that. But, you know, it's important though, and, and it, was, it was James that suggested this years ago, and I was like, you know what? I'm so glad you bring that up because that kind of is the overriding thing. And he said it should be stulip.
3: Yeah, the sovereignty. Stulip. Yeah, uh, because
1: really, that needs to be at the beginning. Sovereignty of God yeah. needs to be before the T. Because that, and, and, and you can argue all day long about, well, these texts do say that. Like, and yeah, the texts do teach that. And there's no way out of that. Election. But where's your starting point? Does he have the power to do that's it?
3: The, that's what separates, if you want to know, I mean, the difference between Reformed theology and other systems is where's the starting point? Right. starting points with God right and from there we reason from God downward right not project ourselves our own thoughts and our own imaginations upon him as to what we believe him to be capable of or you know he's he's free but he's not this free right he can't be this free you know when scripture presents a God who is utterly free utterly. under nor under no compulsion to do anything Right. At all, much less save a fallen creature. Yeah. yeah, but he's he's utterly free to do as he pleases. There you go. So our you, God is in the heavens; He does what He pleases. Did you know that <laughs> I was to about that? No. I, right. mean, I had a couple texts pulled up. But I, okay, so that one just popped up into my yeah. head.
1: Like, is is He free? Psalm does he do one, what He pleases. Psalm one thirty five uh, six. I was just with my family yeah. this morning. Uh, we're going through the pleasures of God, which every Christian needs to be go need to need to Piper, do that. No. yeah, the pleasures of God will bless your life. Bless my life tremendously as a young man. Um, so I would just, this was like the end verse of the section we were in today as yeah. a family. And it's Psalm 135.6. It says, whatever the Lord pleases, he does in heaven and in earth, in the seas and in all deeps. Well, that's everywhere. Yeah. And the point is, is the God of the Bible is presented to us uh, not like us. Yeah. He is a God who is um, self-sufficient. He needs nobody. Nothing. He has been eternally existent as three equal co-eternal persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. The reason I bring that up is there's never been a time where God hasn't been happy. Right. He's, He's the happy had God. had
3: that fellowship of the community of the divine persons right. for ultimate delight in himself. Right. He's not trying to make up a felt need. Right within himself by creating or saving you, he doesn't need us,
1: (laughs) he didn't need us to be happy. He's called the happy God in scripture. The blessed God is the happy God, Uh, he's the happy God. He has been, he has had perfect unity, fellowship, relationship, father, son, Holy Spirit for all eternity before he ever created us. And so, God doesn't need us. He's not dependent upon us, and he's not thwarted by his creatures in any way. The biggest one right there, I think. I mean, it's just so impactful. And so here's the point is like, and by the way, this is, we're going to have to do, engage in some proof texting here in terms of like, well, here's some verses, but here's the point. These proof texts are all in context and they're consistent with the rest of the testimony of scripture about God's character, about his sovereignty, about his will, but our God is in the heavens. He does whatever he pleases. Yeah. He does in heaven and in earth, in the seas and in all deeps, ever. So here's my point: that's a sovereign God, who when so, when something is His will or His pleasure, He does it. Yeah. yeah. If He wants to save a sinner, He does it. Nothing can stop Him. He does according to His will. Yeah. Um, Psalm one fifteen three: Our God is in the heavens; He does whatever He pleases. Isaiah 46, 10, those, yeah, those next declaring two. the end from the beginning and from ancient times, things which have not been done, saying, my purpose will be established and I will accomplish all my good pleasure. And I'll just say something and let you speak to this. That comes in the, the trial of the false gods, where in Isaiah, God is significant yeah. denouncing the false gods of men. yeah And basically one of the contrasts that he makes between him and all the false gods is that these false gods are mute. They're blind. They don't speak. They have no real life. They can't tell you the future because they don't control it. God's argument with the false gods is that I declare the end from the beginning. My purposes will stand. These false gods have no power, no control, no sovereignty. It's my will that will stand because I declare the end from the beginning. That whole line, my decree. And from ancient times, things
3: not yet done. Right. Even before that, Isaiah... um... 14 for the Lord of hosts has planned and who can frustrate it. And as for his stretched out hand, who can turn it back? Yeah. You know, Job gets to the end of that onslaught of questions at the end of the book of Job. Yeah. And what's he left with? What's you know, one of the final things he says, I know that you can do all things and no purpose of yours can be thwarted. No purpose. After coming to the end of that whole heartbreaking, devastating debacle, and then getting, put on trial by God he's left with. Of course, I repent in dust and ashes, but God's sovereignty is the final straw. I know that you can do all things and no purpose of yours can be thwarted. Right. Everything that you decree uh, will happen. Everything that you foreordain to happen, which of course doesn't eliminate human responsibility in any way, but it does highlight the fact that everything that exists God is the owner and ultimate disposer of including my life like he's free to do with me what he pleases to do right even for me like not just his not just the things that he made like in the world but he's free to dispose of me how he pleases
1: grace he's, or yeah grace or justice, <laughs> yes or
3: or yes to highlight one or more of his attributes mm-hmm. Um, you know he will and I think what really drives this home his sovereignty is that his love for you, his purpose in saving you is really secondary to the ultimate thing, which is his, the, the glory of his own name, mm-hmm. right? His, his, his self glorification, right? In, in the divine uh, triune Godhead is why is God doing what he's doing? Why did he send the son? Why do the father and the son send the Spirit? For, for his glory. Why is he doing everything in the world that he's doing? Why did he create all things? Why is he in the process of redeeming all things? And who's going to get the praise when it's all said and done? Um It's it's for his glory. For his glory. The, your salvation is is not for you, ultimately. It's to the praise of the glory of his grace. Right. Ephesians, you know, chapter
1: 1. He does it for his pleasure. Yeah. He does it because he wants to. Right. Nobody's compelling him. He's not under compulsion. And he's not... uh He's he's not suffering under our demands, right? No, no. He's the sovereign. So Daniel four thirty-five says all the inhabitants of the earth are accounted as nothing. But he does according to his will in the host of heaven and among the inhabitants of the earth, and no one can ward off his hand or say to him, What have you done? Um that's a powerful God. Yeah. <laughs>
3: uh, yeah, same idea there, present. Yeah. Um and I'm sure you have more. There's so many. Go ahead. You got I mean, some, you could, yeah. Ephesians 1, in him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will.
1: Yes. Um. Luke one thirty seven: for nothing will be impossible with God. So it's one of those verses that we all go, yay name amen to that verse.
3: Yeah. And then we... It's kind of a Christian cliche almost.
1: It, it becomes a cliche. Yeah. Yeah, where... We'll say that's true, but then we don't actually believe it with our soteriology. We're like, well, you know, uh, God can't mess with his free will. Like, you know, God could really just want so badly yeah. to save him, but he just can't. Yeah. Why? Because he's got all these restrictions of the will of man and like man's ability to thwart his purposes. Yeah. Like nothing's impossible with him. Right. Nothing's impossible. Um, Lamentations 3.37, who
3: has spoken and it came to pass unless the Lord has commanded it. Is it not from the mouth of the Most High that good and bad come? Or Acts 4, 27. For truly in this city there were gathered together against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed both Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and the peoples of Israel, to do whatever your hand and your plan had predestined to take place. So, even the plan of redemption. The murder of Jesus. The murder of Jesus. God of Talk, talk
1: about that, because that's, that's a key one, because we talk about... The sovereignty of God with the will of man, good and evil, yeah. that's what trips people up, but Scripture deals with it.
3: It holds it together yeah. um, without eliminating the will and responsibility of man, because you read that text and you have different characters present there. You have Herod, you have Pontius Pilate, you have the Gentiles along with the people of Israel. Those are all different parties. Right. Those are all different groups. Those are all different motivations Those are all different people making different choices. And then over the top of that, underneath the blanket of God's overruling power, he takes all of that, allows it to play out of course, but his hand is upon it to accomplish exactly what he intended to occur. And you see the same idea at present in the story of Joseph, the narrative in Genesis 50. Joseph says to his brothers, you know, you meant this for
1: evil against me, but God meant it for good. And what was the, what was, what was, this is good to talk about this, flesh this out for everybody, because that's a key issue of the sovereignty of God, even over the evil that yeah, happens the evil in the world. world. What kind of evil was meant, was, was, was in the life of Joseph and his experience that they did that God had decreed to allow yeah. for his purposes, which were good? What, what kind of evil things? So. There was malice in their
3: hearts towards him. Right. They disrobed him, threw him in a pit. And then his brother, one of them, I think it was Reuben, comes to a senses and says, wait, no, let's, let's not kill him. <laughs> <laughs> so even the restraining hand of God upon his heart. There, that moment. His emotions is just like, you know what? No, let's not do this. Let's, he's our brother. Yeah, let's sell him into slavery. Even the restraint. Mm-hmm. Again, that's maybe what's not talked about enough with the sovereignty of God is his, actually his restraint of man, not just rushing headlong into evil, but God actually holding man back from his from the evil that he could demonstrate the evil, the, the lengths of depravity that he could sink into God holding him back from mm-hmm. that restraining mm-hmm. his hands so that Joseph would survive, mm-hmm. go on to be mistreated Put in prison, put in a dungeon, mm-hmm. um, and then end up as the second most powerful man in Egypt. Yeah, so that the seed of the Messiah could be preserved in the preservation of the people of Israel. Yeah, and to Joseph's preserve
1: his lineage, to, to, he says God sent me here to preserve many people alive. Yes, and so he doesn't just save his people, but Egypt. <laughs> yeah, as well. Right. So there's blessings yeah, even in all they that. They benefited. Yeah, from that because and from, Joseph
3: was there, and from that salvation comes. Um, you know, in Genesis uh forty nine, the the line of the tribe of Judah, right? Mm -hmm. Um, Jesus. And so I say that to bring it back to Acts four twenty-seven, because what do we have in Acts four twenty seven? The apostles marveling at the reality that the nations, the rulers of this earth took counsel together, they conspired against the Lord and against his anointed. And he applies that to this passage, Acts four, where he's saying, Herod, Pontius Pilate, Uh, the nation of Israel, the Gentiles, everybody had different motivations, all these conspiring forces working together. And what did that accomplish? What they meant for evil, God meant for the ultimate good, which was the murder of Jesus Mm -hmm. on the cross, Mm -hmm. so that God would preserve his people. Right. Um, It's a a beautiful story, but it's his overarching purpose.
1: And I think the important thing about that particular reference that you bring up is all those people that you mentioned that have all those different motivations gathered together against Jesus, they wanted to kill Jesus. Yeah. They weren't being made to do it. And a matter of fact, you mentioned the restraining hand of God. Yeah. It says the peoples of Israel, right? They were involved in having the Messiah crucified. I mean, they say, crucify him, crucify him. We have no king but Caesar, blah, blah, blah. His
3: blood be on us and our children. His blood be on
1: us and our children. They just asked for it, right? Yeah. But you mentioned the restraining hand of God. There, the hand of God wasn't restrained. They were able to get the Son of Man because yeah. Jesus says, I'm going willingly. No one takes my life yeah. from me. I give. I laid down on my own accord. This is why I came. But before that, in the life and ministry of Jesus you see the instances where they were trying to kill him. They pick up stones to kill him. Yeah. There's times where he even has escapes from their midst because they want him dead. Like they are desperate to k- take his life before the crucifixion and each and every single time the sovereign hand of God stops them, yeah. doesn't allow it. Why? Because Jesus says, it's not my time. Yeah. Right. No one takes my life from me. I lay it down of my own accord. It's when I say, yeah. you will be permitted to do evil to me when I say, yeah. when it's my time my purpose and that's exactly what took place in the life of jesus is that god restrains their evil holds them back and then he goes okay for my purpose i'll unleash it now yeah now you can do it for my purpose but the point is is those those covenant breaking jews because the followers of jesus are all jewish right and yeah. the authors of their new testament they're jewish but those covenant-breaking Jews that killed Jesus—they really wanted him dead long yeah. before the crucifixion. They hated Jesus. They conspire and pull together false witnesses against him in court. Yeah. How how awful is that? Like to literally go, "Hey, will you lie in court against this guy?" <laughs> These guys are desperate. We hate him so badly. I mean, everybody should be looking around, going, uh, "This is getting kind of nuts, guys." Like yeah. we're supposed to be Torah Torah-abiding <laughs> right. Jews here, and you're t- you're pulling together false witnesses. Like, malice. You're supposed to be leaders. Yeah. Um. And uh. But you know, one more interesting thing. Think about this. Have you? Thought about this because this is compelling to me. So, you have the example of like the restraining hand of God in the story of Joseph that you just brought up, where like Reuben comes to his senses and goes, Let's not kill him. He's our own flesh. Like, he's our brother. And God restrains, but he only restrains like to get Joseph into slavery. He's like, Restrain him so I can get him into slavery, where now the wife is going to say he tries to rape her and he'll be thrown into a dungeon. It just gets worse from there. But you see the restraining hand of God. And then Joseph says, like, you meant evil against me. God meant it for good. But have you ever thought about this? That in the conflict with Pharaoh, Pharaoh's told to let my people go. And he says, like, who is this? Who's Yahweh? Who's Yahweh? That I should listen to him kind of a thing. And what's interesting is that now the plagues start coming in and they're like demonstrating that God's a true God and the Egyptian gods are all false gods. That he's like,
3: sovereign, they're, which is another way of expressing his rulership. Right. Right, he's king.
1: Yeah, the frog god. Pharaoh's can't,
3: not God. Pharaoh's not the king.
1: All the Egyptian frog god stuff is not keeping the frogs out. The, the, the god over the waters can't no. stop the blood, all that stuff. But here's an interesting thought. There's a restraining hand of God where God restrains people from the evil that they really want to do right? No, he's like, no, you're not going to do that. Only for my purposes. And then there's a moment where actually it says God hardens yeah. Pharaoh's heart. Yeah. And you're like, but Pharaoh is already kind of hard, right? He's already a pagan. He's already yeah, like enslaving right. the people of God. He's already saying no. And then it says that God actually adds a judicial hardening to Pharaoh. He hardens his heart yeah. so that God would display his power yeah. over the Egyptian gods. But it's interesting because in a moment like that, Pharaoh is is such a defiant, rebellious creature set on even saving his own skin that with the plagues of Egypt coming in, he would have let Israel go to save his own skin. Mm. But God hardens his heart so he'll continue to be stubborn so that God can display his glory. And so, even if Pharaoh would have tried to save his own skin, God's like, no, you're going to be. I'm going to let. I'm going to unleash you. I'm going to make you. I'm going to make you as hard as as you need to be, wow. for my purposes and my power. So there's times where God will actually harden someone's heart, yeah, against their own self preservation because He's like, I'm going to display my power and glory over your sinful rebellion. I'm going to let it get as bad as it really is. I'm going to harden you judicially so that my my power will be shown in you. How
3: offensive to the sensibilities <laughs> of natural man I mean it is it's a it's a it's offensive and I think if people there, don't like a god this time. no no, no. A, a god who actually hardens people I mean that is a god that of course unbelievers should rightly fear right but the people of God ought to fear in a most healthy way mm-hmm. um, and I think that the text that highlights how that brings it out the best is the, that famous one in Romans nine, yeah, right? Right. Who are you, Oh man to answer back to God. Right. Right. So why is God doing this? Why does he harden whom he will? Wills. And why does he mercy whom he wills? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and then why does he still find faults? But who are you? You know, oh, man shall, shall the Potter, or shall the pot regard the potter as, you know, I can do this better, mm-hmm. which is what he says elsewhere in the prophets too, in Isaiah, right? right. Shall the pot say, why did you form me this way? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, why the handles? Why did you give this to me? It's like, it's it's a creation talking back yeah. to its creator. Who are you? Has the potter no right, uh, you know, over the same lump of clay to make one vessel for honorable use? Simple humanity. And another one for dishonorable use? Like, what if God actually wants to make his wrath and justice known. And so he prepares vessels for destruction and actually hardens them to the praise of his justice. And then towards those whom he uh, chooses in this regard that he prepared for glory, shall he not show them mercy on these vessels? <sighs> yes. I mean, those are the texts that that really separate the men from the boys. <laughs> Theolo- yeah. I mean, theologically speaking, I mean, in the sense of like, this is this is truly a free God and you can ask well how did I become the lump that was the honorably used vessel
1: the mercied one right
3: how did I become that you know what did I do to deserve that and the answer is that's the point because he loves you it's grace Be- yeah he he loved you because he loved you yeah you know he
1: chose to set his love on you yeah and what is amazing is that most Christians understand this instinctively like if they get past the personal salvation issue of like how sovereign is God over my salvation and other salvation and how gracious is God's grace. If they can put that aside for a moment and say like God chooses to just set his love and grace on a certain people but not another or a certain person or another. Instinctively we all understand this. We all instinctively understand it because we all understand God's relationship to Israel. That he chose Israel. Yeah. As his bride. Yeah. Out of people. all the other nations. And he says, it's not because you were more numerous. Right. It's not because of any of those reasons. He says, it's because I love you. Yeah. And so that, that, that uh, instinctively we all go, yeah, he chose Israel. Those were his chosen people. Why? Well, there was nothing in them. He just chose to love them. Yeah. Right. Now that's exactly how he does it. He does it with sinful people. He does exactly the same thing. And if you ask, well, why me, God? He's going to give you the same answer I gave Israel. Yeah. Because I love because you. I loved
3: you. If someone were to say to that, though, well... <laughs> that sounds arbitrary to me upon what objective basis does God choose one or the other because we would say well election is unconditional in the sense that it's not based on anything I did to deserve it you know does are we then saying that it's arbitrary like is God just kind of going oh I like this one right you know right and that's obviously something to wrestle with
1: yeah and in the way that scripture describes this and 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 again man we'll probably just do a couple shows on this because this is getting (laughs) i know that's that's a big question no No, i think this is getting good because um because the way that it's described in scriptures is always connected to god's grace his unmerited favor and his mercy and his love yeah and so somebody could say arbitrary yeah but that's not the right category Mm -hmm. the category is mercy the category yeah. is grace. The category is justice. Yeah. So when someone says arbitrary, it's like, well, you're talking about an infant, infinite, all-knowing, all-powerful, merciful God. I don't think arbitrary is the right category because yeah. scripture just defines it as mercy, yeah, grace, you're, love. You're intimating in a way that... This is not
3: an intentional type of love that he's showing. Right. It's actually cavalier or flippant or as the song says, reckless, right? Yeah. The reckless love of God, right? If there's anything that's a more contradiction in terms, it's really that God's love isn't careless. Mm -hmm. It's not, um, reckless. It's not flippant. It's very intentional. Right. Right. And he, I love how he describes a relationship with his people as a marriage. Mm -hmm. It's, it's a husband, Um, taking a bride to himself like husbands understand what it means to have a unique love for their bride that they don't have for another woman right we understand that yep and yet God is the one who defines the nature of that relationship with his people in that category in that way so that we in our finite imaginations can see that God loves people right he loves the human race in a sense but he has a particular kind of love for his bride yeah there's a particular love
1: that's right that a he has for love. his
3: people right it's a special covenantal love you might say
1: right God is loving to every unbeliever yes. he's giving breath to right now Yes. who's living in a rebellion against him he is loving to everybody he's causing the rain to fall on the just and the unjust yeah but he has a special salvific love for his chosen his elect people Um. And that just can't be contradicted. That's what the scriptures plainly teach. And when you think about like God choosing and God saving, God preserving or pers- causing to persevere a people, y- you have entire discourses where this is talked about in scripture, not like potshot proof text situation, right. extended discussions, yeah, right? Like yeah. uh, descriptive how this is, this is why I'm here. This is what the father wants for me. This is what I'm accomplished. accomplish. So that section, we'll end the show with this today. That section. I that realize disc- time is flying by. Yeah, I know. This, going on yeah, I know we could really could. We, we need to, um, we'll probably do more guys. So, uh, it said in, it says in John 635, Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. But I said to you that you've seen me eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. So the Jews grumbled about him because he said, I'm the bread that came down from heaven. They said, is not this Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know? How does he now say I've come down from heaven? Jesus answered them, do not grumble among yourselves. No one can come to me. There's total depravity, total inability. No one can come to me unless the father who sent me draws him and I will raise him up on the last day. There's irresistible grace. Yeah, just about there's all of perseverance them, yeah. of the saints. So if you wanted to say, like, well, what, what are the doctrines of grace? Read John 6. Yeah, you'll get them all. John in 6. That John 6 right there. John 6. Read also John 10. Jesus talked about being a good shepherd, laying his life down for the sheep. Other sheep I have, which are not of this fold, them I must also bring. The reason you don't believe me is, uh, hear me, because you're not my sheep. Uh, my sheep hear my voice and they follow me. If you want to really get a a discourse expression of the doctrines of grace, read John 6 and John 10. Yeah. That's it. I'll just point you there. Underline, circle, highlight. Just (laughs) look at the text. Let the text speak for itself. Allow, we need to all be willing to allow our traditions to fall by the wayside. Have Mm -hmm. you been corrected in your theology over the last 10 years in areas? Oh my goodness.
3: (laughs) I mean, just this issue alone. Like right, coming to i didn't even know what reformed theology was yeah i didn't even know what that tag meant but you know seeing it in the word you have to you have to be willing to let scripture determine your beliefs isn't it if ref- you're a christian
1: isn't it refreshing when you're corrected by the word of god and you see this consistent story that god gives it's refreshing it's not it, yeah. can be, it can be painful to have your traditions challenged, but it's refreshing yeah. when you come on the other side of something, you have your your tradition challenged, and you go, oh my goodness, God is much better and bigger than I even imagined.
3: Yeah, and he loves me. Yeah. You know, my father loves me. And right. He wants me to understand what it means to know him.
1: Right. And who he is. Right. All right, so there you go. We wanted to talk about the doctrines of grace today. We got to the S in yeah. Stulip. Yeah. Sovereignty of God. But we wanted to do this sort of loose today and, and and freely and just make this very personal and intimate. We could do much more. And we need to do a couple episodes more on the doctrines of grace. We haven't done it for some time. Uh, and that was the sovereignty of God today, mostly. Mostly. <laughs> mostly. And so we thank you guys so much for being a part of this ministry with us. If you haven't done so yet, go sign up for all access at apologiestudios.com. Get all the additional content Partner with us in this ministry. Don't forget to pray for EAN and abortion now. We have a lot going on right now. New states coming up to put bills of equal protection in. We need your help in. Abortion is not over in our country. It's actually growing. Uh, the numbers are getting higher. And so uh, join together with us as we try to put legislation in to provide equal protection for our pre-born neighbors. So much is happening. We need you to support us. Be with us in this fight, especially in the states where we come to testify before a legislature or, or working on bills either we put in or somebody else puts in we're supporting them we need your help in those states we'll announce it as we're coming please join us as we show up uh, but we need your help we also need your financial support at endabortionnow.com um and i think that's about it for today yeah we'll catch you next week i'm the ninja that's zachary conover we'll catch you next week right here on apologia radio
0: This is The Academy. I am Eli Ayala of Revealed Apologetics, and I will be bringing a six-part series on presuppositional apologetics.
1: What is this called? The Apology Academy? It's just called The Academy. Okay. What's up, everybody? My name is Pastor Jeff Durbin, and you're watching Collision. Today, I'm going to be interacting with an atheist on TikTok. So here we go. Unsupervised and unhinged. Welcome back to Cultish the Aftermath. Hey, everybody, welcome back to another episode of Ask Me Anything. You are watching Apologia Radio's after show exclusively for all access.